everybody, and welcome to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. I am Trace. And I'm Julian. This is a show where we each answer a silly question using all of our powers of science communication research. And uh, I think that's it. What yeah. else? Is that everything they need to know? I And hopefully we're funny. Oh, yeah. Hopefully we're funny. Sometimes we're funny. Yeah. Funny looking. Hey, this but is... But it's a podcast. It's the ideal medium for that. <laughs> wow. You are handsome. You look like a cross between... Chris Pratt. Yeah. And another handsome human like Jennifer Connelly. Wow. You look like, um, you're like very imposing and intimidating, but also kind of inviting. You're like if Jason Momoa and Aquaman and Cal Drogo had a, wow. had a baby. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just Jason Momoa. That's just Jason Momoa, isn't wow. it? It's all I the same guy. I wish I was that handsome. I'm not. Normally, the caliber of jokes on this podcast is way worse, so you're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> anyway, so before we launch into our respective questions this week, uh, first of all, uh, as of this time of recording, we just launched the podcast, you know, for us. You listening, you're in the future. We, we're in the past. We're when it just came out. Congrats on launching! Yay, launched Hooray! a podcast! Yeah, I'm so happy. I hope y'all are listening to this, and maybe you listened to our earlier episodes. We did crack the top 200 science podcasts on wow. our first day, which was pretty exciting. There are more than 200 science podcasts? I was scrolling through. There are a lot of them. Wow! Yeah. Bill Nye has a podcast we did not get ahead of him but we did get ahead of a few that seemed a little more in the pseudoscience area and i felt good about that that's great that's i would i want to be leaps and bounds ahead of those podcasts bill nye can be you know at the top of the pile he's yeah. he's earned it yeah, okay he's been around a while he's i love bill nye i will be 200th place behind bill nye any day what if bill nye is listening to this right now what do you want to tell him um thank you for making difficult elementary school days bearable bill when that cart wheeled in with the tv and the vcr What's and the a- song kicked and the lowered bill 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 bill, bill, bill. i was like talk. this is gonna be a bearable day in elementary school for me a tiny nerd so mm. thank you thank you for that that's nice yeah yeah thanks bill 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 thanks bill 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 <laughs> Do you have any science news stories you want to get into? There's one that caught my eye oh, for me personally. Honestly, my toddler was sick this week, so I didn't get anything done. Yeah, so and if you've got one. And, uh, you know, back in the past, again, listener, bear with us. Also, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom came out oh, Friday. Yeah. So I have done basically nothing since then. But before that happened, I saw a news story where uh, Saturn has... 62 objects around it that they're they're possibly going to classify as moons <gasps> like newly discovered moons which would make Saturn the most mooned object in the solar system with 145 what Jupiter's yeah. going to be so jealous yeah Jupiter has 95 mm. but Saturn if these are all you know approved yeah by the great the, mo- strong, the, moon, the moon council. The moon council. The mighty moon council. Uh, yeah, Saturn will be the most most moony object. Huh. Yeah. What is the best name that they selected for one of these new objects? Oh, I don't know. Do you think they're all named? They probably I, I are. Doubt, I doubt they're all named. I mean... Coming up with moon names is pretty crazy. Yeah, I, how deep can you dig in Greek and Roman mythology before you start running out? Like, one of the moons that Saturn already has, you know, officially 
approved it. By the way, all of these are like much smaller than our moon. They're like a mile to nine miles in diameter. They're not even spherical. A lot of them are kind of like potato-y shaped, right? But there's one right now called Pan. You know, that's a Pan. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's like the little satyr character that's in Greek nice. mythology, right? So like I, I guess you just go through and you just keep naming them like Narcissus and Yeah. Tantalus just... and Ooh, Tantalus. I recently learned I about Tantalus, which is uh, uh, a character in Greek mythology who was in like neck deep water with delicious fruit just out of reach above him and water he couldn't drink just below him. And it's where the term tantalizing comes from. I mean, it sounds tantalizing and also horrible. Yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. And uh, one of the elements in the periodic table is named after him. Tantalum. Tantalum. Hmm. That's right. So that that's interesting. But aside from uh, more moons going around Saturn, uh, that's the, I've just been playing Tears of the Kingdom. That's been it for me. I mean, that is still a lot of moons and, you know, a lot of video gaming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. I think that some of those moons are definitely going to be weirdly shaped, right? Yeah. Like, there's going to be round moons. There's going to be potato moons, just like you said. Are there any pointy moons? <gasps> I see where you're going with this. Well, I mean, point pointing pointiness is all a matter of scale, right? Is it? Isn't it? Oh. Right? Like, the closer you get to something, like... The, the more you zoom in, right? Maybe it yeah. looks pointy from afar, but then you get close, fairly dull. Yeah, right? I guess that's true. Like a needle seems pointy to my sensitive skin. Right. But if I get really close to it, it's basically a, like a rounded kind of chunk of metal. Or like a, a knife, right? And different knives can look like they're all going to be really pointy, but then you try and slice a tomato and some just go right through and some you just get you're just tomato paste. back and forth on that yeah. thing and you're like, ah, where's yeah. my knife sharpener? Ah. So uh, I, I guess that tees up nicely your question for this week. Do you want to tell the fine folks at home your question? Yes, my question to you, Julian, was, what is the pointiest thing? When you search what is pointiest, all the results are what is sharpest, right? Mm, which is not you, the same as pointy? I wouldn't say so. Yeah. Because the sharpness sources and videos like SciShow popped up right away. They just had one come out like very recently on like what is sharpest. And uh, these videos always get into that minutia of like, well, how do you define sharpest? And, yeah. and so you get things. It was fascinating to watch, you know, like knives when you zoom in right there's a couple important details like the edge radius right like when you actually look at the edge and it forms basically like a little semicircle like what's the radius of that edge and smaller radius you know sharper knife also mm. the wedge angle so like after the little semicircle edge right like what angle do the two sides of the knife form with each other and the smaller the angle you know the more narrow the more more sharp that's all cool but then it gets into like well what if you're talking about things like a needle and blah 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 for some reason when you ask what is pointiest my brain went to like these tungsten rods that like tanks shoot mm. you know i don't know if you know this but like when a tank fires an anti-tank shot right it's not like a big like bullet bill thing. okay that's what i pictured right with an angry face on it no no it's that really mario hits with his butt and it just falls to the ground yeah. harmlessly that's how disappearing in a puff of smoke <laughs> that's how anti-tank 
anti anti tank defense systems works. No, what it is actually, it's um, it's a long thin rod that mm. comes to a point, and it's usually made out of something like tungsten, or if you're American, like depleted uranium, and it's in like this shoe thing inside the cannon and as soon as it, that comes out of the cannon like those parts fall off and you basically have like a huge very fast moving dart oh. that's it and it's like made of tungsten and it hits like tank armor and it just has so much force concentrated on this little point that it just goes right through tank armor exactly like when somebody with high heels steps on your foot yeah Ouch. Yeah, exactly, oh, right? Or when that's you step how, on a Lego. That's, that's oh. you know, pressure is like force over an area, right? Yeah. That sort of thing. So um, it turns out my instinct on like tungsten and needles and stuff was not too far off of what is actually the sharpest thing. And Ooh. it is a tungsten nano needle. A nano needle. So yeah. it's just, so it's quite small, below it's, micro. So we've got, you know, is mi- very milla, small. micro, nano. It's very, very small. The tip of the tungsten nano needle that is in the Guinness record books as the sharpest human made thing is one atom <gasps> in, in in diameter so Actually, it's just one atom like a line of like a just a bunch of single atoms in like a conga line basically yeah of tungsten and tungsten has a like an atom of tungsten according to the internet has a diameter of 0.141 nanometers that's small. Yeah, that's assuming it has all its electrons. If it's ionized, it's even smaller. You know, the electron shell is Oh my smaller. gosh, like that by, is a tiny pointy thing. It's very pointy. So by comparison, right, like the edges of some very sharp blades, like a scalpel made of sapphire, 20 nanometers. So, oh, that's huge in comparison. Yeah, yeah Orders right. of magnitude huge. Yeah, much, much larger. Or obsidian glass blades, you know, that you might use on some ancient weapon. Like if you want to maybe kill some dragons. Yeah. And you're like, you know, I found this dragon glass. I'm yeah. Gonna do that. Maybe exactly. Kill, kill a couple it, white walkers. Yeah, if you wanted to do that. So it'd be effective because the edges, the edge radius of obsidian is about three nanometers right very very sharp that is but still about 20 times larger than the tip of this tungsten nano needle and that technically answers your question and i think that's all well and good i love it when we can technically answer a question but i had another question oh we asked what is pointiest in life but trace we didn't ask why is pointiest in life i don't even know how to parse that (laughs) (laughs) i mean why would anybody make a needle with one atom thickness at the end what's the point when i well (laughs) (laughs) when i thought of the question i'm like i had just cut myself and i thought ow and then i thought how pointy is this thing yeah you know like in my head i was like oh does it just come to one atom at the end and it's like just that one little atom out there being like okay let's do it yeah you know and or is it you know just a is it, it doesn't i don't know no right? it's probably not it's probably several atoms or molecules wide typically on the thing that you're gonna find day to day because like a tungsten needle with a one atom tip is going to be really really brittle right mm. if you actually poked anything with it it would just snap off Okay, because so, it doesn't have all the atoms behind it kind of supporting yeah, it. Yeah, the, the trade-off, right, always is like, okay, if you have something, like, stiff, it's usually brittle, right? Like, that's a sure. problem with 
you wow. know, the obsidian glass is the, is brittleness. And this so, is sort of what we talk about in my therapy session. You, <laughs> you have, can be you strong, have, but, but you'll be more brittle. Yeah, you yeah. really got to like get other people behind you mm-hmm. that support you so that you can achieve your goals. Are of, you sure it was therapy and not a multi-level marketing meeting? Honestly, what's I don't know. The difference would be this <laughs> Ther- right now. They both is, make me feel good about myself. Yeah, like group support is great, but unless they start, you need like three dollars from all of them, and yeah. they need three dollars from like a group of people below them. Oh, gosh. oh no! Then it yeah. Then then that's that's a pyramid scheme. You I did try and sell Cutco knives in high school. Oh wow! I was terrible at that. We're bringing it back to knives. <laughs> <laughs> I was really bad it's at it. It's all related. It's all related. No, so your data day right you're not gonna come across anything that thick right you'll maybe have something several microns wide you sure. know, as the edge radius but not like single atom and okay. just before we move on a micron versus a nanometer yeah a micron is 10 to the negative six yes. so a decimal point with six zeros and then the nano is not negative nine yes so it's hugely smaller yeah so put another way a micron is 1000 nanometers mm, right there it's we go. 10 to the three larger yeah Okay, so why then would you want to make a needle that can't poke through anything, you know, with this little tiny Tiny. atom tip, right? And it's useful for scanning, tunneling microscopy. Oh. Yeah. That sounds fancy. It I don't does. know what it is. I don't know. Well, I will explain. First of all, you make the tungsten. I thought this was cool. You put it in a solution that's got uh, a lot of hydroxide, right? So basic solution. And there's like a, a steel plate attached to the end and the tungsten wires like sticking out of it. And the solution forms a little meniscus, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. a little, little ramp up the side. And then you apply an electric current to the tungsten and the steel and... This causes uh, the formation of tungstate, or uh, four oxygens and a tungsten, which is W, so it looks like, ow. (laughs) 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 And that tungstate dissolves into the solution, and it eats away at the tungsten wire where the meniscus is, and it slowly sharpens down, and eventually you get that atom-thin end point, and the wire breaks, and you're left with a very, very, very sharp needle. Then you can use this for scanning tunneling microscopy. And this is when you want to resolve images in a microscope at literally atomic scale. Whoa. Yeah. So, like, optical microscopes are limited by the wavelength of light, right? You can't use light after a certain point and resolve an image clearly. There's a there's a limit to how small and like close together two distinct points can be before you just lose it with an optical microscope. So this is why we've come up with all sorts of fancy electron microscopes and scanning tunneling microscopy though, it doesn't work like a scanning electron microscope where you shoot a beam of electrons at something and then like read how they bounce off. The way it works is you get your surface, like a metal of some kind, and you bring your tungsten nanoneedle really close to that surface and you apply a voltage across the two. Yeah. And as you move the needle above this surface, when it's close enough to an atom, the electrons from, you know, the surface or from the needle will literally jump from the surface to the needle or vice versa. They will tunnel through thin air or the vacuum or whatever, and they will they will basically just disappear off of the atom and appear on the tungsten needle tip. 
And we can tell that they did that. Yes. And so then you just monitor the, the current in the needle. So when it comes close to these atoms and the electrons jump on to the tungsten needle, you see a current spike and you know like oh i i'm i'm close to an atom here and you can map atom by atom as you go along because when you're in the spaces between atoms you're too far away for the electrons to jump to the tungsten nanoneedle and you can map out the surface of a substance one atom at a time wow it's Awesome. That's so. Is that how we get like pictures of DNA and other things like that? I don't think we need it for DNA. I think we can resolve that with. Um, so Rosalind Franklin used X-ray crystallography. So she used uh, electromagnetic wavelength spectrum. It know. was fine because DNA is big enough. Yeah. Okay. But we're talking about if you want to go like you have a piece of gold foil or something, and you want to go atom by atom and map every single atom in this substance you can do it wow yeah it's that's so cool, cool. that's and really it, cool it relies on that weird quantum phenomena of electron tunneling because electrons you know we think of them as particles but every particle also has wave-like properties yes right and when an electron hits a barrier the wave of the electron doesn't just die at the barrier, it kind of continues on a little bit. And if the barrier is thick enough, then the wave dies out in the barrier. But if it's a really, really thin barrier, and when I say barrier, I mean just like gap space of a vacuum, right. you know, uh, if that is thin enough, then the electron wave still continues a little bit on the other side of it. And then the electron can appear there. And sometimes it just does. It keeps going. It just literally tunnels through. This is a, a major limiting factor in how uh computers are being built because our little transistors are getting smaller and smaller and smaller but at some point if the transistor is so small it won't act as a gate that like stops electrons anymore you know and that functions as a zero in your computer right if the electron just tunnels through that then your gate is open even if you want it to be closed and it screws up all your computing. Yeah, they'd have to have a lot more error correction then. Yeah. Just be like, oh, cool, we need to really understand quantum mechanics in order to build any computer that's smaller than, you know, a few nanometers really. Any of these these little transistor size, right? Any of these these little chips where everything on them is getting like billions and billions and billions of transistors. And at a certain point, we're going to hit a size limit. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, this is something we've done videos about in the past is quantum tunneling and the issues with computing. But I never thought about it in terms of scanning stuff like that makes total sense. We're essentially using that problem with computing for a benefit in scanning. Mm -hmm. Really, Mm -hmm. really cool. It's a edge that cuts both ways. Oh, wow. I know so many edge puns. Just, just. You've said that's the point so many times, and I've been trying to keep the puns down, and I, have I can't been, help it. I've been doing it unintentionally, but I guess I just have a sharp wit. Ah! Okay, one more cool thing you can do with these uh, these tunneling, scanning microscopes. Yeah. And that is, you can also use the tip of this nano needle to pick up atoms and rearrange them one at a time. Oh, easy. I do that all the time. Yeah. In my house. 
So check out this. I have a toddler. What oh you, my God. What do you see there? They, okay, there's a picture and it's little circles. It's on a black background mm-hmm. and it's three across and three down. Well, technically five down and then three across and it's the letter I. Yeah, that's the letters IBM <sighs> spelled out with 35 individual xenon atoms. And they just moved them around. And yeah, made... they picked them up with the tip of these, you know, very, very fine pointed needles and move them into place so you can like arrange and engineer things at an atomic scale with these pointiest of pointy needles. And that was done, the IBM images from 1985. Wow, thanks for the tip, (laughs) Joe. Yeah, that's so that is your answer. So that's thanks to uh, Jared Binnig and Heinrich Rohrer, the two scientists who came up with this method of making a tungsten nanoneedle and scanning, tunneling, microscopy. They won a Nobel Prize for it in 1984. And they're your answer to what is pointiest in life. Wow, a tungsten needle. One atom thick. One atom pointiness. I mean, that's pretty pointy. That's... Is there a smaller needle we can make that's a smaller <laughs> atom that would then technically be pointier? Maybe? Okay. Probably? Wow, great. Would you want to? I don't know. I don't just know Just for the record? <laughs> just, to, just to make this episode outdated <laughs> at some point in the future? If it happens, we'll do it again. Well, yeah. Well, because we're pretty on point with this podcast. Uh, okay. Well, on that, <laughs> let's let's go to a quick break. If you've turned into this, turned into it. You've <laughs> turned you, into one. You've turned into a science comedy podcast. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I'm a podcast. Am I going to be late to work? If you're tuned into this science and comedy podcast, chances are that you are someone who loves learning and having a blast while doing it. If it wasn't clear, Trace and I are the same way. We thrive on learning new things because it not only enriches our lives, helps us learn new skills, but also makes us really cool at parties. Is that what we are at parties? Are we? We are, right? We're cool. I mean, when you're at my house and I'm at your house, definitely. But like, oh. Uh, their houses. Anyway, <laughs> this is all to say I am super excited about our new sponsor, Brilliant. Yay! Can I kind of get a little like, you know, in my feels for a second? Oh, yeah. Get those feels. Elaborate, please. Hey, I see what you did there. I am exactly the kind of person that Brilliant was made for. I have always been interested in math, physics, computer science. When I had the chance to study these things in college years ago, I was also really intimidated by them. Yeah. And I avoided taking these classes. And honestly, I regret it. I'm going back now. I'm taking classes at my local community college. I'm loving it. Yeah. But with a family and work, traditional classes like that, I'm finding them really hard to actually fit into my life. So I was really excited when you told me that Brilliant was going to be a sponsor. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. If you don't know what it is, by the way, out there. It's an interactive learning platform with so many lessons on topics that I always wanted to explore, and I can do them at my own pace, on my schedule, and in a way that keeps me engaged. You can learn by doing on their website or with their mobile apps. And there are thousands of different interactive lessons in STEM subjects all across the platform. Their lessons are engaging and interactive. You can brush up on like algebra or advanced math, multivariable calculus, differential equations, computer science, Python programming. You can even learn about cutting edge stuff like large language models, neural networks, the things that are powering AI today. Large language models really big right now. <laughs> large language models. You can learn large language models. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's only Gaelic, though. The large language that you can learn is Gaelic. Yeah, ship that. I'm in. We can finally communicate with the Scots. <laughs> okay, well, anyway... Wherever you are in your learning journey, there is a brilliant course that will help you get to the next level. Or, you know, just be basic enough to get you an understanding that you can go and work with. Yeah, they're always adding new courses too. They just launched a ton of lessons focused on analyzing data. That's cool. That's really cool. I think the world would be a better place if everyone had to take a stats class. Oh, totally. And if you haven't taken one, here's your chance. You could just go take a statistics class and make Julian so, so happy. I would appreciate that. Try it out. You can try Brilliant for free for 30 days. Just visit brilliant.org slash absurd or click the link in the show notes. Once again, that's brilliant.org slash absurd. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off the annual premium subscription and it supports the show, even just trying it out. So go ahead Check it out. Maybe get sucked into a few lessons. Trace and I are going to be here with the rest of the episode when you get back. If you get back. Oh, I hope you get back. They come back and they know more than us about everything. <laughs> They're just like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> their brains are the size. This huge brain coming out of their cranium. I've absorbed all knowledge. Why do I listen to this podcast of dummies? I have no time for your absurd antics. <laughs> But I would definitely take one on large language models. Cool. A Scottish AI robot that nobody can understand. Sally, <laughs> <laughs> turn on the lights! Sally! <laughs> Arm the burglar alarm! <laughs> it supports the show. It'll be great. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. Trace, you have an answer to my question. I think about how much uh, humans have altered our environment and the world and how we've just kind of spread everywhere. And then I wonder, if we disappeared tomorrow, what what takes over? Is it dolphins? Is it is it octopuses? Is I mean, it, wow. Is it dinosaurs? Do they make a comeback? Once humans are gone, who's who's running the show here? On planet Earth. I love this question. Thank this you. is something I think about all the time. And I do remember hearing about this once. And so I went back and I looked into all of this stuff. So uh, the question again, if all humans disappeared, which species would take over? Do you have any? You said dolphins. You said octopuses. Yeah. I did look into both of those species. Uh -huh. So we'll get to that. Good. It, are those the ones that you think would take over? Do you my, have one that you're like? My assumption is right. Like the thing that made us successful was like intelligence and being able to use tools. Yeah. So it's like that maybe sea otters. I don't know. Cool. Yeah, those are my guesses. I, I, so, okay, great. It seems like we're very aligned here, which hasn't happened that much on this podcast when it comes to the questions. So, in a world where magic, poof, humans are gone, mm -hmm. the first thing I thought of was actually microbes mm. or fungi, mm. uh, which is actually the least satisfying answer. Right. Like mm. if you were just like, hey, humans are gone. Who's in charge? Uh, the trillions of microbes that were here before they were gone. <laughs> I feel like they're in charge right now and they're just letting us think we run everything. Yeah, that is the point. Yeah. So I started to draw some boxes around this question and be like, OK, cool, um, because microbes, there's already more than humans. So it can't just be number of things. Yeah. Right. It, it has to be like, uh, you know, 
by takeover, we mean like they're affecting the planet mm-hmm. on some big scale actively. Um, they, they can't just be about sheer numbers because if it was just like biomass, like plants, there's a lot of plants, mm. you know, there's a lot of other animals. There's four out of five animals. You can't just say what animal because four out of five animals are roundworms. Uh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Of, there's a lot of nematodes I had no idea. out there. <laughs> yeah. Most animals, most things on our planet, not humans, <laughs> as it turns out. That I knew there were like more species of beetle than like anything else, but I didn't know that four out of five animals were roundworms. Yeah. Four out of five nematodes. What's up? Wow. Yeah. Way to go, nematode. Yeah. Woo. Uh, So (laughs) I decided also that it needed to. I want to get, I want to get like team nematode t-shirts. Team nematode t-shirts. So in case they have an uprising. Nematode. Yeah. (laughs) I'm on team toad. I'm on team toad. Team toad. Team Nematode. Team Nematode. Team Nematode. The fighting nematodes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would love to go to that STEM education-based high school. <laughs> <laughs> hey, are you a magnet school? Yeah, we're the fighting nematodes. Fighting nematodes. What up? Whoa. Gross. High school is such a Petri dish. Ha <laughs> ha. Ah. Lastly, uh, I also said they had to take over the land of the planet. Because, mm. again, the oceans, like humans, don't even live there now. So if we say, what's going to take over after us? Like, well, we haven't technically even taken over the sea. So okay. I so figured all of that stuff getting, had to apply. Getting to land is... I can understand that, right? Like, yeah, we're, we're running the land. That's the pinnacle, right? We, yeah. We climbed out of the water. Everybody's still in water is just lazy. They haven't they, tried they hard They didn't enough. adapt. Or they did, and then they went back. Dolphins. Jerks. Try to come back Maybe here they, on land, you They cowards. showed up and they're like, ugh, it's, ugh, ugh. Uh, I'm going to go back in the water. This is too hard. I'm all heavy. Mm. You know what? That was basically me when I was eight, though. There was a pool around. I'm in the pool. I'm not out on this. You're like, I'm not out. You're like, I'm in the pool playing around. You're not fit to run the planet, Trace. Definitely not. Definitely not. You're, you're weak. So takeover means an animal multicellular species larger than microscopic actively reshaping the planet. Okay. Using those (laughs) very specific things, I want to note, there is no way to know this. (laughs) There is no answer. That's a good ambiguous thing to say. In case you pick the wrong horse, if it is horses and they take over. I didn't even look into horses because, man, (laughs) if if humans disappeared, I don't think horses are going to last that long. If if most of us get raptured and we're left, the horses will get their revenge. And yeah, and they'll see you in that Team Nematode shirt and they'll be like, Oh, yeah? You backed the wrong (laughs) equestrian species. (laughs) I was going to say horse, but it would be weird to say you backed the the wrong wrong horse horse. as like a supremacy horse. Yeah. You know, like a prime prime horse. You backed the wrong jockey. You'd have to think of it from like the horse perspective. You backed the wrong primate, Mm. but then you're backing a nematode. I don't know if this works. (laughs) So we can see into the near future just looking at DNA. What Mm -hmm. species are close to us and knowing that we succeeded, maybe they would succeed. So primates, definitely at the top of the pile. However, there's not any single species that's like waiting for us to topple over, right? There's not not like some species that's like, man, if it weren't for those pesky humans, we'd be in charge. (laughs) Curse. They're the mole people underground. (laughs) 
I'm just waiting for their moment to strike. That's funny. <laughs> It'd be the naked mole rats down yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. It all comes back to Sophie's naked mole rat <laughs> future. Uh, so there are a couple of ways we can formulate our guess as to which species might take over. And the first way to guess is just look at plain old history, mm-hmm. right? We've had several mass extinction events. Those extinction events have happened because of ice ages. The great oxygenation event was one where bacteria dominated the planet and did, you could argue, take over everything. Their oxygenation killed a lot of things that weren't aerobic bacteria. And, you know, that was, that was a pretty big deal. Wow. So we can learn from that. Uh, and then 65 million years ago, of course, we had an extinction event off the coast of Mexico when a big asteroid hit. We all got kind of screwed. Well, the dinosaurs mostly. Yeah, great for mammals. Yeah, really good for us. And that's what I'm saying we can learn from this. So okay. Professor Dirk Schulz Makuk, a German professor of astrophysics and astronomy. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, Professor Dirk. A lot of large animals died in that extinction and mm-hmm. some small ones survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tiny mammals, we did it. Congratulations, Woo! everyone. Team mammal. Woo! We were the mole people hiding in the caves That's waiting. Right. Yeah. Waiting for our oppressors. And then those giant dinosaurs. Out. Boom. Down. Hey, this is our time. Let's go. Woo! Rise of the mole people into, and we, into just people, people. Yeah, just regular people. Yeah. It took millions of years, but we eventually got there. Yeah. Um, I always think it's fun when physicists step out of physics and go into literally every other discipline. <laughs> Uh, it's just one of my favorite things. They never stay in their lane. And he says, based on that, he thinks, you ready for this? Yeah. Naked mole rats. Stop it. Yeah. But what? He just says it because he likes them. And also, he's an astrophysicist and not an ecologist. He but heard, I love that he went for it. He heard episode three with Sophie. Maybe Sophie <laughs> found this in her research. That was great. So if we look at these extinction events, we can see that smaller mammals or smaller animals typically don't die off in mass extinction events. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're not really talking about a mass extinction. We're talking about, poof, humans disappeared. There's not like a nuclear winter. There's not something that's destroying the planet. It's just we're losing one major kind of change factor you know, mm-hmm. on the planet. So a second way to guess is to look at disasters like Chernobyl. And a few years after Chernobyl, even just a few years later, it became essentially a wildlife preserve. Nature started taking over even in urban areas. Uh, it didn't matter if there was radiation because tumors aren't really contagious. So it does kill a lot of things. But animals, you know, they just keep going. Yeah. They just keep breeding. You just got to make it long enough to have offspring. Right. And to that point, a rodent that lived there, the vole, Uh, adapted to have more offspring. Mm. And so the radiation would get some of them, but then other ones would live to be able to breed themselves. Mm. It can't just be rodents, because again, I don't find that very satisfying. But rodents are definitely mentioned several times in my research because they can breed a lot, they breed very quickly, and they also are quite intelligent. Have have mammals kind of made themselves like... Basically, we have like a, a fallback in case like more mass extinctions because we're there's still some mammals that are small and breed at prodigious rates and can survive in little holes if like another asteroid hits or have I think mammals kind of locked down the like controlling planet Earth for the foreseeable future. Our lifeboat is bunny rabbits, yeah, and rodents, and rats. And <laughs> they just yeah. live in the holes. When we wipe get wiped out for one reason or another, they will eventually 
be the genesis of the next mammal all conquering species. I'm into that. See, this is the yeah, the dinosaurs they they messed up. They got they got too big. Yeah. They got they didn't they didn't leave behind a little teeny version of themselves that wouldn't become a chicken. Yeah. And that's that's their bad. Yeah, it really was. It was a mistake on their part. <laughs> it's uh, poor planning. So I added another kind of little asterisk to my research saying they have to have some drive to dominate the planet Mm. which prey animals don't typically have Mm. right so a vole or a other small rodent might not have the drive to like go and explore and find a new area and then take over that area and then go and explore yeah they're just not ambitious enough that's what it really is (laughs) those lazy rodents Uh, and if there is one thing the history of evolution has taught us is that life will not be contained. It breaks free. It expands to new territories, crashes through barriers painfully, uh, even dangerously. But, well, there it is. Mm. Life uh, finds, finds a way. way. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. For those that don't know, that was a quote from the documentary Jurassic Park. Mm. Uh, so, Dr. Ian, Ian Malcolm. So the question still doesn't have this satisfying answer for me. So I started looking into it and again, kind of narrowed the search a little more. They have to dominate their population and the, the globe in some way. That doesn't necessarily mean a big population. They have to dominate on their intelligence and social measures. Uh, they have to, you know, be able to use tools or build societies. And then they have to dominate by interest or ambition. They have to want to do it. On longer timescales than human history, like millions and millions of years, um, a lot of different animals could do this. But most experts think that it's going to be a carnivore and probably a predator. Mm. So, and and that we're using both the history and these mass extinctions to kind of pull those forward, I think. Mm. So like in Chernobyl, wolves are quite common. They're an apex predator. They are there. Uh, and other predators as well. The prey animals, they get bigger because there are no predators around. And then the predators get bigger and then the prey animals get smaller in terms of population and so on until things kind of balance out. And humans are essentially an apex predator. We're like the apex of the apex. We're the tip of the top. The, We're the pointiest. We are the We're pointiest the tungsten nano needle of, of animals on Earth. <laughs> That's exactly right. So... We have all these different apex predators in these different areas around the planet. We've got things from like brown and polar bears. We've got big cats like leopards and jaguars and lions and wolves. And they're not big cats. So it's a separate group. <laughs> and then there's, of course, fish like sharks. There's reptiles like crocodiles, cobras and pythons. All of these things are apex predators in their niches. And other, you know, in the ocean, you have all sorts of different ones as well. Mm-hmm. And the invasive species that live in these areas usually die out, they think, or predators will find them and start to eat them. Uh, they're invasive now because we're not doing anything about it but if nature were to be let loose again all of those things would eventually normalize on the thing of millions of years however what species are we always told will take over like oh if there's a nuclear war they will still be here cockroaches right experts do not think cockroaches will be here if we are not here if you Mm. snap your fingers No more humans. We are a source of water, food, shelter, and warmth for a lot of species. Cockroaches are one of them, as are rats, interestingly. Mm. And another species that people sometimes say they might take over, dogs. Dogs live with us. They've evolved to live with us. And so without us, they don't think they would survive particularly well. Though 800 million dogs live out just in the wild uh, without humans, they probably won't dominate, especially not like the pugs. 
because yeah. they can't even live without humans now. You, you have some genuinely wild dogs, right? Like dingoes and stuff. But yeah. The escaped like feral or just like, you know, non-neutered breeding dogs, you know, they still tend to live around human population centers and yeah. eat whatever refuse or, you know, rats or whatever. Like they, they kind of adapt themselves around. They, they don't like go back into the savannah or something and then like yeah. form packs and then run the place out there as far as I know. I mean, I haven't been out there because have you seen the wild dogs? They're like running the show. <laughs> Playing poker. <laughs> no, so they're too reliant on other species. So are many plants, which is interesting. So mm. corn we grow. This is sort of a sidebar. But the corn we grow uh, came from like what looked like a sprig of wheat. We just selectively bred it over tens of thousands of years to be this big ear that we could eat. Mm -hmm. Carrots are the same as are a lot of other foods that we eat. So without humans, a lot of that would revert over millions of years to something that was less intense for them to grow. I uh, I think I remember reading like corn is really dependent on us because its way of pollinating itself is pretty archaic and not very efficient or something. Yeah, they also we a lot of the corn we grow is genetically modified at this point and purchased. Uh, seeds are purchased they don't even germinate on their own yeah so it gets really messy yeah they can't have like a second generation right yeah yeah but that's yeah. by design so you have to keep buying seeds from monsanto yeah i, I wasn't gonna say it but that's yep. the that's the business model hey it's a fine business it's, model it's if you fact. can get it it's just factual and that also applies to livestock and other pets and animals that live in cities like pigeons and rodents and stuff. So in a book, After Man, A Zoology of the Future, Dougal Dixon has one animal that he thinks would do really well. Any guesses? Do not say naked mole rats. It's ants. It's oh. ants. I'm not going to say anything. That makes anymore. sense. Ants. Yeah. They've been around for 500 million years. Uh, a study in scientific reports independently found the same thing, that ants are not the traditional choice, but in general, they're social. They build. They fly. They dig. They have infrastructure, social culture. They can communicate over long distances through vibrations in the ground. They work together to dominate environments. And, you know, given millions of years, they could take over. Would it look like us? Would they become intelligent? That's like a whole other kind of question. But, uh, you know, maybe they could build ant-sized spaceships. The National Aeronautics and Space Ant Administration. So it would still be NASA. Yeah, because it'd have to be. They could build the Anternet and get (laughs) Antflix. You know, they could ant flicks and smell because, you know, they have pheromones. Yeah. Yeah. They could they could not use the app Hive, though. That's for bees. Yeah, that's for bees. Bumble. That would be Bumble. They can't use Bumble. They can't use Bumble or Hive. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can't use Twitter either because that's a predator. Yeah, that's scary. That's a scary spot. Don't go on the bird app. Don't use that. You don't know who's posing as an ant, but is secretly (laughs) a bird. Everyone on the Internet is secretly a bird. (laughs) Uh. I said, I thought, what if they built cars? What car would they build? And I thought, Chevrolet trucks. They can haul a thousand times their body weight or something. I, you'd think they'd go for like a, a, a sporty car, like an Alfa Romeo Spider. Ah, oh, Spider! Ah, ah. Ah. So that is something that the ants didn't sing to me either. No pun intended, because the ants are so musical. Um, if you've seen the musical ants the documentary musical. the documentary music uh so what are some other smart animals i i just really wanted to just pick some animals and see why or why not they might not take over mm-hmm. chimps bonobos genetically the closest to us yeah 
If several million years go by, it'd be pretty easy to picture them taking over. Sure. Right? Especially with all, like, the stuff that's laying around already that's, like, kind of made for chimp-like hands. Yeah. You know? There's only one person who knows whether they'll take over, Charlton Heston, and he's not telling. (laughs) So, we are going to move on from chimps. They already have a big population. They have a good starting point, but we have no idea if they're going to take over because Charlton's not telling. So then we have baboons, which are the next largest brain in the line. Mm. So their the, uh, brain to body weight ratio is called Q. The Q of a baboon is quite large. Uh, so they're already pushing boundaries. They live in forests, but you can find baboons on the edges of forests, pushing out into human populations and going elsewhere. So they definitely have that interest that I mentioned, mm. that like ambition. They want to go other places, uh, which is pretty cool. They band together to fight other predators, but are themselves also predators. They're social. They're intelligent. Could be baboon life. Mm, yeah, I could see it. Yeah, yeah. Then it wouldn't be Bumble. It would be Babumble. <laughs> um, we mentioned dolphins earlier, so I looked into them. Uh, they don't really want to be on land. You know. Yeah, they they gave it up, right? Yeah. So they, that'd be a huge change and these, like another backslide in their biology. So all these ocean-born mammals, right, were like formerly on the on the land, and they went back in the sea. Yeah, and they lost it. But if you look at like dolphin flippers, right under X-rays, it kind of looks like hand bones and yeah. stuff. It's yeah, like homologous structures. And, and whales like, have like pelvises, but they don't really have legs anymore. Yeah. And it's just like super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they gave up their shot, you know. They could have taken over. They could have taken yeah, over. Yeah, they wanted to get back in the hot tub. Nope. Nope. It's hotter dolphins. now, thanks to the humans, though. Mm. Jerks. Um, so you mentioned octopuses, and I coincidentally had looked into octopuses as well. They're extremely intelligent. They can they can use tools, which we both identified as important. Mm-hmm. They're ambitious. They're they're smart. They're they have deception, like they can deceive, which we learned in our lying episode. They would need a major evolutionary shift to live on land, and I think I'm about to blow your mind because yeah. this is so cool. Humans, our blood uses iron to mm. capture oxygen. Mm-hmm. Octopuses use copper. Octopuses use copper. Yeah. So some cephalopods use copper in their blood, which can grab oxygen, but is less efficient than iron. Oh, I didn't know octopuses also had copper-based blood. I know horseshoe crabs are the one I think of every time. Yeah, same. And and it's cool because, like, they it has some, like, medicinal value. So they have, like, horseshoe crab blood farms. Farms. Yeah. And because of the copper, the pigment of their blood isn't red. It's It's blue. blue. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It I did looks not know... like science fiction. So I... some cephalopods have copper in their blood as well. And so they need an oxygen-saturated environment. One quote that I read said, cephalopods have done remarkably well and have gone as far as they could with their inefficient circulatory system. Oh, man. And I was like, wow, wow. I mean, that doesn't... You don't just switch from whatever the copper-based you know, chemical stru- molecular structure is to hemoglobin, though. You can't yeah, just that. would do be a that. huge shift, so... They're, they're out. Wow. Yeah. And then we've got birds, which we haven't really talked about, but they use tools. They work together. They're social. They have some basic language and cultures, some different species of birds. And without humans, a bug population would immediately bloom. And that means populations of animals that eat bugs would bloom too, mm. like birds. So maybe we'll return to a time when dinosaurs <laughs> ruled the earth. Oh, wow. The teeter-totter between mammals and dinosaurs. Could it's anybody's game. back the other way. Anybody's game at this point. Experts say that that could happen. Uh, 
And also, we know that they wouldn't need to invent airplanes to get around. Yeah. They just fly They're around. one step ahead of us. Unless they invented our crappy diet, in which case then they would definitely invent airplanes. Yeah, so long as they don't eat fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> they'll be okay. They just eat fried bugs instead. Very good sosa protein. Mm. Okay. Uh, I do want to wrap it up with just one more thing. Alan Weissman has a book titled The World Without Us, which is almost exactly this question. 500 years after humans magically vanish, what does the planet look like? He spends a lot of time on the ecology of it all. So he says rodents, quite adaptable, could survive without us. Uh, Just not the same species that we know now. Think of the voles in Chernobyl. Millions of years from now, maybe they breed a lot and they produce a lot and they exist. But the human cities would become ecosystems systems in their own right, etc., etc. But in this book, he said that one thing, one species outshines them all. And it's something that I haven't mentioned yet, which is just species with a lot of biomass now all over the planet. So in this book, they said that the dominant species would be a predator carnivore. It's a population that actually eats a population that eats the bugs. It's a smallish mammal. So if there's a disaster, it can survive. It's intelligent. There are lots of them already. They're on the top of the food chain. They're apex predators. They live near humans. So there's lots of them now. Okay. Okay. I think I know. I think I know. What is it? Meerkats. You got half right. Dang it. Just cats. Cats. Really? Cats. Wiseman says cats will take over. So he's a cat person. Cats, he says, quote, to the BBC, are very successful non-native species all over the world. Everywhere they go, they thrive. That was the one I liked best. I was like, definitely cats. I, you know, honestly, I look at my cat and I just routinely go, you're the perfect animal. Not in like the, oh, you're so cute way that everybody is with their pet. But 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 it it is though, right? You are silent you are intelligent, you are covered in weapons, you can fall from enormous heights, like, yeah. su- there's a super predator that I cohabitate with, yeah. and it lets me live every day. The only thing that you have on it is that you're bigger, and you're a source of food and entertainment, and so I wrote... <laughs> The interest part is where cats are currently not interested in spreading around because they're being spread by these humans. But if their source of food and entertainment disappeared, maybe kitties become the dominant species on our planet. They're just using us to to set themselves up in the shadows. And soon (laughs) the great cat council will press the button that eliminates all humankind. Once they've spread around enough... They even have thumbs. Yeah, little, little, little teeny. I mean, they're far away from the rest of their. Yeah, little dew claw things. Them. They got everything. But they could come back. They're just they waiting there. They just need. you know, they just move down over a few well, yeah. you know million years, and then they bam, they got a little hand. Or there's a lot of cats that are born with like an extra kind of thumb. Yeah, polydactyl cats. I've yeah, had some of those. There's a ton of those. Yeah, they're, so they're those ones are like giving away the game too early. All the other cats are like, Dude, you weren't supposed what to have the thumb yet. Go, come on, rascal, stop it, rascal, rascal, mittens. <laughs> Uh, The thing is, if you visited the planet where cats took over, you could probably just win. You know, just bring a bushel of cucumbers and a laser pointer and that planet. You can destroy Mm. their whole society. Yeah. Just throw a cucumber in the middle and everybody's like. Or like start smuggling in catnip. (laughs) Get them all addicted. Yeah. And then and then take over once they're all addled. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So note to listeners at home to be ready for the cat uprising. The catening. Yeah. Be sure you have a lot of catnip. Yeah. And a laser pointer. Oh. And one of those sticks with a long string on the end. Really long. Yeah. And a little feather on the end with a bell. You can distract them and drug them in time to escape and regroup. 
Oh, man. Everybody has zombie apocalypse. What about the cat apocalypse? I love it. The yeah. catening. You really need to know what's going to happen. And so that's it. So what, what species would take over? Maybe ants. Maybe baboons. My money's on cats. It's going to be a real interesting fight. It's a shame we won't be here to see it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll all be living on one of Saturn's newly discovered moons. That's more pointy. That's <laughs> the pointy moon. And it's all come back around. <laughs> Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to That's Absurd. Please elaborate. If you disagree with us, please let us know in whatever social platform yeah. we are on. I want to hear people's pick for uh, what would take over. Yeah, definitely. I actually, thinking in hindsight now, I think meerkats, you know, have a good good shot. They're Look. sociable. Yeah. They eat small things. Totally. Yeah. They communicate. Just like we do. Yeah. They've got hands. And also, friend, they're really good friends with warthogs. Oh. <gasps> Yeah, that's the problem is the drive, isn't it, right? Oh, you they're, know. They're not ambitious enough. That's always, they're just happy to eat bugs and not avenge their friend's father's murder. Yeah. I mean, Timon wasn't. Maybe other meerkats are really ambitious. I don't know. We'll have to get out there. Maybe there's a Gordon gecko that isn't a gecko, but is a meerkat and just a very confusing name. <laughs> <laughs> so hard to keep track of all our potential rivals now. I'm going to be so, so skeptical of my cat when I get home. Everywhere. There's someone everywhere. <laughs> Just waiting for us to slip up. Well, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks with another That's Absurd. Please elaborate. In the meantime, we're always looking for more questions. You can tweet us at That's Absurd Show. You can find me at Hug It Out on Twitter. You can find me at Trace Dominguez. And there's also a form on our website or down in the show notes where you can submit questions and uh, links to all of our stuff. So thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast, and we'll see you in two weeks.